I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute routing in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share podcast is brought to you by PDAX. PDAX is a homegrown cryptocurrency exchange that offers the best rates among local cryptocurrency exchanges. Download the PDAX app now on the Google Play Store, App Store, or Huawei App Gallery. Start trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies for as low as 50 pesos by signing up on podlink.co slash hustleshare PDAX. Also powered by Podmachine, the simplest way to grow and edit your podcast. Sign up now at podmachine.com and use the code HUSTLESHARE to get one free edit. Welcome to HUSTLESHARE. The podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here is your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. Finally got the guy. We finally got him. Been wanting to get this guy every single time. You know, there's an event. I'd say hi, hello, blah blah blah. For some reason, we just couldn't find the right timing to get them on the show. But now, episode 201, we'll start another countdown to our next 100th episode or 50 episodes. We got another amazing startup founder that is one of the OGs, been there and done that and did it in a very big way. So without 
further ado, let's welcome the founder and CEO of Locad, Mr. Constantine Roberts. Welcome to the show, Cons. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Again, thank you so much. Finally, you're here. <laughs> We've been wanting to get you on the show. And again, massive, massive congratulations for all the stuff that you've been able to do. But again, now it's your time to be totally dissected from start to bottom. But before I get carried away, I need to ask you the million-dollar question. Cons, what's your hustle? Yeah, essentially uh, run Locat to help other hustles, uh, other hustlers scale their e-commerce business. So Locat is uh, your e-commerce logistics engine, and we essentially provide the entire backend operation of an e-commerce business that happens after the customer clicks buy now on checkout and uh, and take care of uh, everything that happens afterwards. So specifically, that means we provide the software that you need to run all your order and inventory management system. Uh, we provide you a network of warehouses that is available on demand that uh, holds all of your inventory and fulfills all orders that come in same day. And then our shipping engine allows you to ship them all out to the customer in the fastest possible way. Um, and the core of Locat is really to ensure that uh, entrepreneurs, brand owners, and uh, managers have their hands free to focus on the growth of the e-commerce business rather than on the nitty-gritty things of order fulfillment. And at the same time, to create a scalable um, commerce infrastructure that allows you to uh, ship faster to your customers and provide a great um, experience as well as competitive uh, costings, uh, shipping costings, especially um, to your merchants, uh, to, your, to your customers. That's incredible. Because at the end of the day, guys, during this pandemic or at the height of the pandemic, the real heroes are not just the riders that fulfill the stuff uh, that we, we order. It's not just the sellers, but there's so much in between that needs to happen, right? In order for our society to function, especially till now that, you know, technically still in a pandemic, but everything that needs to happen for that whole system to work needs to be optimized by a great product. And again, you don't even know, but Locat has been impacting your life for a very long time now with a lot of these things. And this guy's hustle is going to blow you away because now before we dissect what he's been doing now, we need to buckle up, Hans, because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. All right. And again, that's what we need to do because I want to understand the origin story. Of one Constantine Roberts, so I'm coming in blind here, and I, 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 we never, and it's usually the juiciest part and the most amazing part of what I talk to with founders. Growing up, what was that like? Did you have any type of influence or any type of you know role model in entrepreneurship, or was entrepreneurship something you didn't even know that you were gonna do back then? And again, walk us through where you grew up and what was that environment like. Um, yeah, born in Germany, uh, grown up, uh, grown up in Germany in Cologne, kind of mid-sized town till I was about 16. Um, then spent some time in, uh, in the UK, got to travel around a bit. I took a break after finishing high school for one year. I got to, uh, uh do some work and travel and, um, that's, uh, um, yeah, that's when I sort of realized I probably wanted to work outside of Germany and Europe and, um, spend some time in, uh, 
uh, yeah, emerging markets at the time, at the time that was LATAM, but um, uh, but later that, that brought me to Asia and that I wanted to build businesses. I built a business from the ground. I guess, um, yeah, I mean, grew up in a pretty normal family, um, but my my parents were both kind of running um, running small businesses on their own. And um, I guess that sort of, uh, uh, yeah, gave me, gave me some view of it. And then, um, yeah, studied business and, um, and after uni, uh, tried a couple of things. But at the time, e-commerce was, uh, was growing up in, uh, uh, in Germany. And um, yeah, then somehow made my way to Berlin. Uh, at the time, Berlin was kind of emerging to become a, a startup uh, hotspot. It was still very emerging at the time. Uh, but there was sort of this energy in the air. Um, yeah, and that's how I started out in e-commerce, and that brought me uh, almost ten years ago uh, to the Philippines. That's amazing. Sorry, right. well, well, before we got to the Philippines, I'll just uh, walk through the process of again growing up in Germany, doing uni in London, correct? Uh, I did most of uni in uh, in Switzerland. Oh wow! Okay, right. So through that experience, um, was was there like a early epiphanies of like all right maybe business is what uh what i want to do and whatnot or was it was, was there like a turning point the eureka moment that really uh allowed you to really get into business and whatnot because again i'm looking at your experience after you and in that whew, that's a long ass list you know you did you interned in uh banco spirito santo in london and whatnot you know you went back to to cologne again and then you you interned in Buenos Aires, oh my God, all the way down south. Were these things accidental or was this intentionality over the, 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 that experience that you wanted to go? Mm, yeah, that was pretty early stuff, right? So um, sort of after high school and then, and then uni, I think, I think at the time, I knew I didn't want to work in like a traditional big German company like the car makers mm. or the banks, whatever. Right. And, um, and I wanted to find, find a way to to kind of be part of building something, um, either either working at startups or eventually um, uh, eventually starting a business. Um, I didn't really know in in, in what uh, sector, so um, tried to try to kind of try out different ones. Um, looked into a bank, went into consulting, just because you can see different industries from the inside. Then in the different startup, um, realized that that's probably closest to to what I wanted to do uh, because it's kind of more action oriented um, and yeah. <laughs> closer to yeah closer to doing uh, doing and building um, and uh, and I also knew I kind of probably wanted to like work outside of Germany for some years um, and uh, as such kind of uh, was quite open to to try whatever opportunity I could get to um, take a job um, abroad. Got it. And then just a couple of things that are just uh, again just referencing you singing off it of off of your LinkedIn just referencing it off of. Uh, that I, I want to understand. I remember Paolo, Paolo, uh, who also, and again, the Brian Fuse of the world, their first foray really came in management consulting. And you did McKinsey for a while. Was that something that really opened up your mind? Like, all right, shit, this is problem solving at scale, right? And now you see all these macroeconomics, all the way to micro, microeconomics, and really seeing the fundamentals of how businesses can thrive and how you can solve problems at multiple markets. Was that the turning point or was there anything else? Because after that, you then became a, a co-founder. You jumped to do your first startup or is that even the first? But 
what was that experience like between those two companies? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, as a, as a business school student, kind of consulting is, is always something that you kind of kind of naturally inspire, inspire uh, naturally aspire to because they're pretty present on campus and, uh, and it sounds pretty cool, of course, right? Like it's kind of like rigorous kind of, um, uh, kind of work. You get exposed to a lot of different things and, um, work with with good people and stuff so that that, that definitely had attraction and and um i briefly joined mckinsey um for an internship while i was still um studying um or while i had just finished my studies and then uh at the time when you when you did your internship and you would you would get an offer you could defer the offer for one year um so that was kind of my wild card um to tell my friends that i had some proper job to go back to and now i would move to berlin and uh, not join any company or consultancy yet but um Try to bootstrap a startup of my own. So basically, what we did is, in Adrella at the time, uh, moved together with uh, with a good friend from uni. We moved to Berlin, rented like a mm-hmm. ten square meter little little room in somebody else's office of another startup. Um, had a few interns, uh, and we're like whatever six people uh, crammed in on ten square meters and just kind of tried to hustle. Um, okay. We didn't have funding at the time, so we basically wow. took a bit of a loan from the parents and tried to somehow like uh, there was okay. kind of the, the ramen stage. Um, and then, um, <laughs> after a year that didn't really work out, um, we didn't really know what we were doing and kind of probably wasn't the right time at all, but really did enjoy it. And Berlin at the time at this energy of the emerging startup scene and you met a lot of people building stuff. So I realized that this is kind of what I wanted to do. Um, so after that first startup didn't work out, um, question was either is it time to, to join consulting and get some kind of real work experience and all, um, mm-hmm. or, uh, and then at the time, um, there was this, uh, um, and this big entrepreneurship figure called Oliver Zumber in, in Berlin, who yep. kind of shaped much of the ecosystem and, um, had started Rocket Internet. And, and, uh, back in the day, the ecosystem was still pretty nascent. So they were by far the kind of player that sort of catalyzed a lot of it. Um, and his pitch, uh, in a whatever 15 minute interview, uh, was, wow. uh, was don't go back to consulting. Uh, you can, you can do something equally fast paced with a lot of good people. Because anyway, I've just hired so many of, of them. Um, and then you can do more fun stuff than, than building PowerPoint slides. You can build business. That was basically his, his pitch. That's amazing. And I got, he got my weak point there because I actually, well, I did enjoy <laughs> consulting a lot, but I, I really felt like building a business, um, and, and kind of, yeah, being, being more hands on and, 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 and really building something from the ground up interested me. So that's how I ended up um, joining Rocket Internet, which brought me to Zalando, uh, which is a, a big fashion e-commerce platform in Europe, kind of became the first big homegrown e-commerce venture uh, in, in Europe that eventually listed publicly and is still very much um, around as a big player today. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and from there on, um, I, I got into emerging markets um, because after Zalando, um, uh, Rocket invested into various um uh, e-commerce ventures, um, and, and one of which is Zalora, uh, which eventually right. brought into Asia. Okay. Now, before we talk Zalora, because again, you stayed there for a while, and I, wonder, I really want to zoom in on this. So let's talk about Rocket real quick, right? Because again, right after your first foray, right, to being a founder, not everybody likes a taste of their own blood, <laughs> per se, right? A lot of my contemporaries, when I started out around 2012, 2013, probably a good two-thirds of them didn't go back, right? Stayed in corporate, never wanted to go back yet. They just got like traumatized. And I can understand because I've also lost in my first startup. But out of, out of my, the necessity, 
I just couldn't see myself working for anyone, anybody else. Just like I can't go back to corporate. But for you, it's a very similar path in, again, not management consulting, but still founder-like jobs or founder-like role in a very aggressive, borderline notorious rocket internet model. So again, I'll just zero in on this a little bit. Rocket back then when they were starting out. So the reason why I know, because I worked in Groupon here. So they, they invested in that company. I know the freaking culture. I love it. But it's not built for everybody. Because two things back then, the model of Rocket was replicate and out-execute. Is that accurate? And I just want to understand what the mindset is. Because if you really got this from Ollie himself, not everybody had access to Ollie back then, right? I want to understand what was the mindset and what was the mandate of, hey, guns blazing, out execute, blitzkrieg this whole motherfucker out there <laughs> and get it done, right? Was that it? What, what was that like? Yeah, I think, I think kind of replicate and out execute is a, is a good summary of it. Um, I think all of at a conference at the time, uh, around the time when, when I uh, ended up then uh, signing an employment contract with them, said uh, that they, they look at it like being Bob the Builder of kind of the startup scene. Um, I, I joined because I felt that um, there was a great environment to learn and to get my hands dirty in the startup space and, and do exactly what I wanted to do, which was building businesses. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, recognized after my, my first kind of failure out of uni where we all tried to do it ourselves, um, mm -hmm. that uh, probably needed, uh, uh, needed some place to learn, just as if you are joining a, a corporate or management consulting or something. Yep. Uh, for your first couple of years, so it was cognizant that like, there was there was a lot to learn. We didn't really have a clue when we when we started our first venture out of uni. So I wanted to go somewhere where there was a structure um, and some people who had been doing it before, and uh, uh, and we could be kind of a wheel on the machine initially, but at the same time um, learn quickly, get exposed to different things, and um, yeah, figure out how this venture building uh, and then building companies really works. Mm -hmm. And and that's amazing. And again, I've seen I'm a product of it. But I'm not even at a founder level, but everything that I learned in Groupon, man, it's a lifelong skill that I, and I cherish it. Somehow I adapted the similar culture, uh, but a little bit uh, softened with Filipino style. You need to make it sweet <laughs> because you can't go guns blazing and say, yo, we're just going to go, you know, uh, lightning fast. But a couple of things. I just want to get the learnings because you said you wanted structure. Now you got that structure and you got that super ambitious and aggressive approach through Zalando, through Rocket Internet themselves based in its HQ in Berlin before you go to Zalora. What was the life-changing things that you learned there that you still carry in those early days pre-Zalora that in terms of mindset, ambition, and again, replicate and out-execute? Was there a formula that you had to do? Because... A lot of the ventures that I saw that they tried to replicate, they did try, but if it didn't work, they pulled the plug. It was unapologetic, which is, whew, you know, Asians don't like that, but I understand, right? But what, what was that like? Yeah, I think there were a lot of experiences. Um, uh, I mean, some some good that you would want to replicate and, and some learnings that, that you would like to do different um, when, when it's then your turn and that we try to deliberately do different now and, and look at. Um, but um, I think the first 
a big mindset shift was um, that building a company is um, is almost like craftsmanship. So that there is a there is a way how you kind of put bricks on top of each other and you can build a house. And it's not like you need to. It's more like an architect than let's say an Albert Einstein who has this epiphany of inventing something that only this one person will ever invent, invent once in a lifetime. I think that was always the, to me, there was a barrier and you wanted to be an entrepreneur, but it seemed like you needed to, you needed to come up with something so special um, that, that that created a big barrier, right? I mean, I wanted to build a company, but but the, the, the role models out there were like Google. And, and I mean, I, I couldn't invent a new algorithm that can completely revolutionize the way the world organizes its knowledge or something like that, right? Like, right, it, right. It, seemed like it, it seemed like there was such a big barrier to just get started. And I think what, um, what Rocket taught me and others was that that's not necessarily the case and that a lot of company mm. building is ultimately, um, yes, it's based on an insight, based on a market need, based on, on an area where you think you can create value but that ultimately everything that follows afterward is in the end like an architect or is a bit of Bob the Builder and you can you can assemble a company and, and, and build it one step at a time. You don't need to wait for this epiphany that suddenly lightning strikes you come up with this once-in-a-lifetime invention. That's amazing. Now, okay, you have that mindset and now you go to Zalora. Early days of Zalora, right? Um, you got here around 2013. You know, it's still the early days where delivery, COD, these are something that people are still trying to figure out. The fleets aren't coming in. Can you describe what that was like and also what it was like working hand in hand with Pao, uh during this phase? Yeah. Um, yeah, Pao is actually a big reason why, why I came to Asia in the first place and then certainly why I stayed okay. um, because I was... Um, I think I had a, I had a, I had a phone conversation with, with, with Pa on a, on a Thursday or Friday. Um, and then another call uh, with some other members of the team on, on Saturday. And then I was on a plane to Manila on Monday. And at the same time, at the time I was still, I was still employed with, with Rocket in Berlin. So I was supposed to kind of come there for four to six months, um, to help set up some things, almost like a kind right. of internal consultant, interim manager or something. So yeah, I came on the ground and then um, what was supposed to be a six-month assignment with Zalora ended up being uh, being six years. So I uh, got along really well with Paolo and, and really enjoyed the, the idea um, of not just kind of starting something um, as what I had been exposed to in, in, in Rocket in Berlin, um, but actually building it now for the longer term. So not kind of hopping from one venture to another and just trying to get stuff off the ground, but rather... Um, uh, now for six years, um, building the company um, together and, and really going going all the way and, and building a culture, uh, building a team that is there for the long run, and, uh, and, and yeah, building everything that 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 is part of it, right? Which which is the startup right. stage, but then it's and, and and then it's scaling up and it's it's trying to run fast, but then you also realize that that's half of the coin, and the other half of the coin is to bring the right people on board to actually. Want to stay for the long term, uh, building career progression paths, building the right culture, building long term relationships with suppliers, with business partners. Really, um, yeah. So, and in that case, Alora was great because when I joined the company, it was a bit less than a year old, and mm-hmm. uh, and then when I left, it was uh, uh, it was very much kind of a 
a stable company where a lot of folks had had long-term careers, where we had deep relationships with brands, we had built a lot of infrastructure, um, uh, sound unit economics and all of that. So it was kind of going full circle um, and going beyond the startup and hyperscaling stage to actually um, uh, then, then also building a, a mature and enduring company that uh, um, that becomes a little less crazy and a bit more predictable and a bit more stable and Correct. Um, and, and is there to, to be a real company that has grown up at some stage. Okay, a couple of things uh, that I wanted to, to deep down on. First off, what was the biggest adjustment for you? Because if Pal described this big-ass opportunity, that, all right, this is a Laura, one-year-old, and this is how big it can possibly be. You've seen how that looks like in Europe and around the world. The biggest challenge with you coming in, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of things that you know, that they didn't see coming that punch you in the face. What were those like? And then later on, I want to understand how, what are the biggest challenges you also had to overcome in those seven years that you were in Zalora? Yeah, good questions. Um, like the decision to come was, was, was fairly easy. I mean, I wish I could say that I had made this heroic uh, sacrifice or whatever. But in reality, <laughs> like, I, was, I was still employed by, by my previous employer in Germany. I had the chance to come to Asia for four to six months, which I always wanted to. Um, and mm. yeah, I was 24 at the time, so I had very little mm. to do. Right? I could pack my life in a suitcase and come over and see what it, what, what it breaks, right? So it was still kind of an right. adventure-seeking um, time of life. Um, I think the other thing that was very interesting to me was that it's the first time I got really deep into operations. Um, so I've been on the business side of things uh, more and more. And my first, uh, uh, my first uh, three months in Zalora, I essentially got uh, dropped off at the warehouse in Banyake. So uh, not come out until it was fixed and running well and in a solid operation. So it's like, okay. Um, <laughs> I frankly didn't have that clear of an idea of um, how to pull this off. I think my uh, my qualification at the time was that I had seen the the large uh, e-commerce warehouses uh, of Zalando La Mora in, in, in Europe and um, and I had some idea, but uh, it was of course very different because we're still a startup um, in uh, in PH with Zalora, and and there weren't really any packs in in Southeast Asia because it was still so so early stage, right? Um, the, the very first Zalora warehouse uh, had still Lazada on the other side and a fence in between uh, and then right. combined everybody was processing <laughs> a few thousand orders a day and oh, it was still pretty pretty tiny operations and then when we set up our own warehouse in Zalora um, yeah, I think you couldn't like hire experts like nobody had the playbook you couldn't just yeah. go somewhere and like, hire, hire someone I mean, back in the day couldn't really think of getting someone in from Amazon or something we're still a startup so we all kind of had to figure it out together. Um, so a lot of kind of first principles, problem solving, uh, looking at what kind of global best practices are, but then also trying to figure out how do we kind of, global best practices in the e-commerce fulfillment centers were like massively automated facilities that cost tens of millions of dollars. And we had this mm. very scrappy facility in, in Bayanaka. So we try to kind of figure out how to use software to kind of intelligently automate things and, and make them more efficient. And while, while otherwise relying on, on human run operations um, and make them as lean and efficient as possible. Um, and at the same time, focus very strongly on, on customer experience. And that's what kind of started in, in warehousing and fulfillment, um, brought us to the last mile, um, where we built up our one last mile operation, mainly to pilot COD, cash and delivery. Um, and um, yeah, customer experience, customer service. Uh, that was, that was a big thing because it was, bit different to what I was used to and the business side of things. 
And then um, it was all my, also my my first larger scale people management experience. So operations naturally has has of course big teams because you need um, warehouse customer support and so on. And circons, circons. Did you eat merienda na circons? Totally different culture, right? Yeah, that's funny. The 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 uh, this sort of took a while to get used to. I tried to um, uh, I tried to abolish uh, with partial success, but uh, no, yeah. man, it's a it's a bad habit that's culturally embedded. Cern blank. That's what it is. Or blank, <laughs> blank. That's what it is, right? But last part of the question. Sorry, I, I went we went over time the first part. But what were the biggest challenges that you had to to overcome as nascency became more structured along the way? Because again. It's not like when you overcome a new challenge, that's it. There's still a lot of rounds of new bosses that you have to, or you know, uh, new hurdles that you have to overcome before that predictability happens. What were those hurdles like? Yeah, there are a lot. I mean, um, I mean, we went from super early stage, kind of looking for initial product market fit, looking for just initially keeping operations alive and figuring out how to do that. And, and we had to build everything ourselves in Zalora in the early days because there was no e-commerce infrastructure you could ride on from yeah. warehouses to last mile to software to, I mean, <laughs> that really definitely way too much at us. Yeah, so that was, I mean, that was one of my triggers for then launching Lowcut because we realized that the challenge if you're such an early mover in this ecosystem um, that you end up having to do so many things yourself. You cannot stand on the shoulders of others, right? There weren't so many SaaS tools available. There were no, um, uh, not much external services available for fulfillment like Locat now. Um, there was no COD yet, so we built our own fleet to kind of pilot COD and improve that, and then later um, uh, work with partners to roll it out. Um, but all of that stuff was just enabling services. It was not core to the business of Zalora, which was bringing fashion um, uh, to consumers in Asia. Um, so we ended up spending a lot of time um, in the business on things that actually were not core, um, right? Like it wasn't core to the value proposition to to run our own fleet or to do that stuff. And I think that ended up being quite distracting and ended up taking a lot of people within the organization as well as financial resources and, and tech resources and all away from the core, which was fashion e-commerce, to all these kind of adjacent enabling services. Um, right. warehousing, COD, uh, uh, building water management systems, all of that. And I think that, yeah, made it, made it more complex to, to build and increase the barriers of entry quite a bit because it just needed a lot more capital to work on all these, um, uh, uh construction, uh, sites at the same time, right? As like, you're not trying to build a house, you're trying to build the whole village, including the, the water pumps and the, the, the power stations and all of that. Um, and I think the great thing of e-commerce now in, in 2022 is that a lot of the enabling services are there and you can stand on the shoulders of others and um, uh, and, and really just focus on, on building the core of your business and proving that. And that's what's, uh, um, yeah, I think great than actually catalyzing an ecosystem. That's amazing. And literally just, just comparing it to Greek mythology, you literally had to be Atlas and put the whole world on your shoulders, right? Like, because if, if you thought that you're just going to be able to let the whole thing go around without much effort, you thought you're just going to build a house. It's not real. And that's a, one of the things about being a first mover. You thought that problem is simple and you realize that there's so many non-core things that you have to build around for the whole thing to work. 
it's very similar because again in podcasting similar to to us we thought that oh okay spotify is there blah 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 but in reality you had to really build the whole ecosystem and ready the audience for it to thrive but again longevity and being able to survive those days so that you see the good days you know the pax romana whatever that might be you need to be able to survive those so that whatever you planted you eventually see the future. All right. Now let's take our first break. And when we come back, let's now talk about your next steps, heading and Trego. And of course, talking about Kaya Founders and of course, Locat. All right. Let's talk about that more after the break. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back for a break. We are still with Cons. Roberts again told us an amazing journey and a, just a glimpse of what they had to evolve to when. Delora, just amazing. Also, what again, how in parallel, what, what's that like when I remember the, the conversation I had with Pal when he did it? It's just, it was just amazing how you had to evolve. Even the metrics that you guys measured became different. But again, now it makes sense because you had to build the village or the fencing for the whole, the whole tower to thrive. But okay, I want to now understand Entrego. Right. So after Zalora, you did Entrego. Uh, help me understand how that opportunity came about and what was that journey like when you were uh, the one, the CEO and president of Entrego? 
Yeah, so Intrigo very much kind of evolved out of um, of Zalora. Um, the genesis of it was that um, in Zalora we built our own last mile delivery fleet um, initially just to to prove the case for COD. But then eventually it became bigger and bigger as it was Zalora Express at the time, and we realized that at that point, I don't know, I think half the company or so was working on last mile logistics operations, oh, uh, kind wow. of in house subsidiary that was just serving Zalora. And that the long term kind of probably wouldn't be the the most ideal and, and efficient setup, and that there would be an opportunity to thin that off and um, let it grow on its own, um, let it evolve and um, and serve third party volumes on the same network that uh, had been built to serve Zalora um, and and grow from there. And um, shortly after, um, Ayala Corp invested into Zalora. I think it was twenty sixteen or seventeen. The, the opportunity came about with Ayala as a strategic investor to spin off Zalora Express and, and build um, the standard on last mile logistics company, um, Entrego, um, which is today serving um, many, many other clients other than, than, than Zalora, um, and which um, yeah, I led during the first uh, couple of years uh, as CEO initially kind of out of Zalora and then eventually as a, as a separate company. Um, yeah, and now it's very much um, kind of they are growing up in the market. Right. But again, it's a brand new startup and now completely logistics based. What were the things that you had to learn and what were the harder parts doing that? If Again, half of the fleet or half of the company already in Zalora was you had to build on your own. Again, this is the non-core stuff that you had to build and spin it off specifically as, as a company of its own and just completely focusing on that with now the ambitions to help out not just Zalora but all the other e-commerce giants here. What was that like? Because again, totally different, similar play, but not quite, right? So what was that like as a founder and as a leader of, of Intrego there? Yeah, I think it I mean for me personally it kind of completed the um, the, the full transition from e-commerce to the sort of backend operations, a machine room of e-commerce, um, which is uh, which is the logistics side. Post with with Entrego on the last mile delivery side of things. So um, the business at the time, um, when when I was still leading it, was was very much focused on shipping last mile delivery um, and, and building a network nationwide that brings parcels uh, to the customers uh, quickly and um, at an affordable cost. Um, and, and by building those networks to um, yeah, ultimately make make products more accessible across all, all areas of the country. Um, connect commerce, uh, connect the, the, the tissue of commerce uh, across the country uh, more and more, and essentially make it easier for um, uh, for any kind of merchant to um, uh, yeah to trade with with their counterparties across all all areas of the archipelago. Um, so a big part of it was was building those networks across the the country, um, making it easier to ship packages from Manila to Palawan and from Cebu to Davao and back and all of that, right? Um, so yeah, very, very operational business. And I think the, um, the underlying like mission of it is, is to, to create infrastructure that others can write on, right? And that's then what, what ultimately got, um, got Yanis, Shrey and myself, um, our co-founders to, to start Locat, uh, back in 2020, where we felt that, um, sort of e-commerce was now, um, emerging into its, its third, third wave. Um, in the right. first one, uh, kind of platforms and marketplaces had been built, like Zalora, Lazada, Shopee, and others, where you could reach customers and sell your products. 
Um, and then a lot of work and investment had gone into building last mile uh, delivery networks, which is critical infrastructure to actually get products to, to customers. And that, um, that sector had developed very well. Um, and at that point, it wasn't necessary for anyone anymore to build their own fleet like we had to do in, in Zalora back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. But now there was a, a third wave that brought its own complexities, um, where e-commerce was becoming more and more brand-led. Um, uh, right. Startup brands, people building their own brands, as well as uh, very established consumer brands, um, and are really taking online seriously and expanding their business and, and becoming in the process direct-to-consumer brands and businesses. Um, and being multi-channel, so selling on marketplaces, multiples of them, um, building their own direct-to-consumer uh, web stores, uh, brand.coms, uh, social commerce. So more and more channels would evolve. Um, and for that, you would need both software and infrastructure, in that case, fulfillment centers, um, that allow you to uh, sell your product, your inventory across all of these different sales channels, make them available across all these sales channels in a synchronized way. Um, and then as e-commerce order volumes grew, uh, fulfillment becomes a critical infrastructure because ultimately that's where it all starts, right? The heart of it is uh, is warehouses where um, where your orders get get pick packed uh, and then and dispatched right. uh, all within the same day. Um, and that that was very much a hard infrastructure uh, that required significant upfront cost because you had to rent the warehouse and pay security deposits, right, and, right, and then. It's full, so you need to invest in a new one. And if you don't, then it's going to constrain the growth of your business. In Zalora, I was personally part of six physical warehouse moves. So we had to pull stuff out of one warehouse and move them all to another. Um, so there's a lot, again, a lot of distraction. So we figured, what if um, we could turn this kind of physical, capex-heavy, high barriers to entry uh, constraint into a platform, into a platform that makes a network of warehouses available Across the Philippines, across Southeast Asia, uh, you can just send your products to these warehouses. Uh, you pay as you go, um, just for the space you consume and for the for the orders that are processed, um, and turn this essentially into infrastructure as a service. And that is local, and that's what we built for the, that sort of third generation of e-commerce, where it becomes a lot more multi-channel, um, where it's about customers wanting the goods faster, and hence you need more different delivery options from point-to-point express to international right. economy. Um, we need to sell across uh, channels and we need, on the one hand, the software to orchestrate it. And on the other hand, uh, the physical infrastructure as a service. So they don't have to rent and build the old warehouses anymore. Okay. So th- thanks for literally describing that transition from Entrega to, to Alocad. Just again, that's a seamless. Now it makes sense because there's multiple waves, right? The, the storefront, fulfill, I mean, last mile delivery, and then now infra that can tr- connects every all the dots. Uh, the, for it to work, but now let's zero in on Locad here, because you you mentioned that now this infra is there, and it's obviously built to solve the problem of the the merchant itself, right? But how, what type of merchant are we talking about? Are we talking about this mom and pop that's like, hey, <laughs> I'm selling these masks, it's selling well, and you know they have an opportunity to really scale fast. Uh, are they the target user or are, or is it more like brand.coms or higher end mid tier? Describe to me how that like that uh, opportunity came about with that type of user that you're after actually um, targeting. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so when we built Lowcut, we did it with a mission that we want to democratize the back-end infrastructure of e-commerce um, and make wow. it possible to everyone because that fundamentally levels the playing field, right? If you get to ride on the same rails that some of the largest companies um, uh, can, then it becomes much easier to, to scale your own business. And um, mm-hmm. an inspiration came from Shopify where we said, hey, today, like $1,000 in a Shopify freelance on Upwork and give you as good as a platform. It gives you a platform that's probably like 80% as good as what we used to have in Zalora three years, four years into building the business. Oh, we had like 50 engineers. So suddenly, what used to cost you, let's say, 50 engineers in three, four years to build, you could now get signing up with Shopify and your credit card and hiring a freelancer and spending maybe 50,000 pesos, $1,000 or whatever uh, to do a bit of customization and integrate some third-party apps. Um, and, and that sort of democratized the front end of e-commerce as the marketplace. Mm. Um, but the back end of e-commerce was still challenging because uh, once you, yeah. you had all these front ends and you were, you were selling, um, what are you going to do? Are you going to like pick and pack everything yourselves and hire a few people <laughs> to help you? But then you get into this right. position where the business runs you. You're not really running the business anymore. You're just in a, in a hamster wheel trying to keep up, especially if your business yep. is growing. Or are you going to invest a ton of money and, and rent a build and buy warehouses and fit them out and, and suddenly all your money goes into that rather than into the product and the marketing and building a brand. Um, right. Or is there a way to outsource it? But we felt we figured that, that there weren't many good options or often the, the outsourcing um, was almost like renting a warehouse where somebody wanted you to make specific commitments of the space you would occupy and the volume you would right. move right. and lock that in for five years. And then if you're a business in the growth phase, you don't know what's going to happen in three years, right? You don't want to sign long-term commitments and all of that. Um, and at the same time, when I started out in Zalora, and that was the pre-AWS age, or at least we weren't on it at the time. So we still had physical servers. And at some point, that server infrastructure in, in the data center would, would exhaust, and then the website would go down, right? And then we'd everything transition <laughs> to AWS. Good old on-premise back then. Exactly, yeah. When AWS happened, it was auto-scaling, right? Like nobody would ever go down anymore, not on 11.11 or whenever. So we figured, what if you could auto-scale that backend infrastructure of your e-commerce business, all the fulfillment centers, wow. um, access to all the shipping carriers and all, right? And that's really what, what Locate was all about. And it is all about up to this day, um, essentially give you a best-in-class backend infrastructure for your e-commerce business and allow you to auto-scale where no matter how many orders come in, the warehouses will fulfill, um, no matter how much storage space you need. Today, it's for 1,000 items. And, and day after tomorrow, it's for 100,000 items. And in, in either case, you've got the capacity. That That's basically that, that democratizing the backend of e-commerce vision it explains why Locut is accessible on our lowest tier plan, our startup plan, for anyone who does kind of upwards of 10, 15 orders a day, which is the first wow. time that it kind of makes sense to outsource, right? If you're just doing like somebody orders every three days or something, it's better you just do it yourself because there's not a lot of work yet. But once you get to do this kind of 10, 15, 20, 25 orders a day, everybody has a different threshold. At some point, it's going to occupy too much of your time um, that you as a, as a business owner could, could put rather into growing your business. Um, so that's what we're very committed to the, to the entrepreneur side. But at the same time, it's about outer scaling and, and creating a, a world-class scalable infrastructure. And as such, we work with uh, most of our brands. Most of our volumes come from uh, mid-sized brands that do a couple of hundred orders a day and are already very much professional businesses that need an infrastructure partner to grow on so they can focus on marketing, product, and so on, all the way up to some of the largest brands 
globally and locally, such as Havayana's flip-flops and uh, uh, Bank Kaiser's infant nutrition that leverages our, our warehousing networks and some some large um, uh, e-distribution and an e-commerce enabler companies. So ultimately, local is open infrastructure um, available to anyone uh, looking to grow their brand um, online. And it's very much kind of built to be enterprise ready, uh, best in class, both from a software and physical infrastructure perspective. But we deliberately want to make it available for anyone uh, as an entrepreneur starting up with a budget of even just kind of 10,000 pesos a month um, to uh, to sign up and leverage both the software and, uh, and the infrastructure. That's exciting because, again, as it levels the playing field and it already saves you all the potholes that you would have got fallen into anyway if you did that alone. Because you didn't have to go through because, again, the forefathers, the, the, the ones that literally became Atlas and carry the bare weight of building the non-core ecosystem stuff is now being shared to them. And that's amazing. But okay, I'll dig deeper on the flip side. This Because we're talking about product. Let's talk about team Tam, and team here real quick. Because for you to pull this off, cons, given that you are, again, as, as probably the master of this now, you also need a, a, a superstar team that allowed you to get this done. And again, this is now your third go-around. And I empathize with that a little, a little bit. PNA is my third startup, though my uh, <laughs> my my win loss record is one big L at the first one. Did that for six years, lost everything, got acquired in the second one. So God knows what's on this third one yet. But just to share for context, there's a certain part of what I knew from both those both those two experiences that helped me along the way until it became uncharted territory. And now I'm a rookie again. <laughs> what the hell am I doing? I'm literally trying to figure it out step by step. Of course, with foresight coming from friends like you who, who told us. But for you, what was that like in your third go-around? Building the steam, building the product, building the company. Is, is there still uncharted territory or everything something that's predictable that you've seen happen before? No, I mean, there's there's always uncharted territory in the in the journey of, of building businesses, right? I mean, uh, for starters, we started the company about kind of two three months into the pandemic, um, so we didn't. I mean, sort of new e-commerce was probably gonna uh, uh, gonna be a, a big driver there, but it it was still quite uh, uncertain at the time. Um, then we built for the first time a company that was remote first and and globally distributed, so we have teams across uh, uh, multiple countries. Um, started remote only, and then then later on, now moved to a hybrid setup where we. Uh, so that's again a new uncharted territory, right? right. And then Lookout started remote only and globally distributed, and then we're after two years um, brought the leadership team together for the first time all together. Like for my first year, I hadn't even met my co-founder and CTO. We had spent wow. every day hours on Zoom, but we had never met in person until about twelve months in. Right, it's actually amazing how much like trust and, and, and bond you can build um, with with somebody who um, uh, who you had actually never person. Right, that's why I find this age of deep fakes very scary. Imagine you would one day discover that <laughs> <laughs> people you work with are not real. Luckily, we're not yet there. After two years, we brought together them and and we're looking back and and, and figured, okay, there's so much benefit we got from being being remote, having yeah. access to a talent pool and in multiple different countries. I mean, people getting getting better work-life balance and, and removing the location topic as to like 
I think the biggest shift here is like where you live no longer determines the opportunities of where you can work. I think this is like mind-blowingly transformative for for life and and the economy overall. Right. But at the same time, we also realized like, hey, we had we had such good productive discussions and brainstormings and and bonding uh, being here all together. Like we don't want to go back to being like completely remote and never see each other. Right. Um, and and then kind of uh, three three months later or something or six months later we come back together. So that then got us to kind of look to transition to a hybrid setup where we created now these kind of collab offices in Manila, Singapore, and Bangalore, three key hubs, and, and and see if we can make it hybrid work, which again is uncharted territory, which is different from remote. So I think I mean every every week, every day, every month brings uh, 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 brings new. New challenges, new opportunities, uh, new problems to solve. I think there's uh, there's always a lot of uncharted territory in uh, in in this uh, in this game. Absolutely. Now, a couple of things before we take our last break. So, again, you guys literally work behind the scenes, and from a customer point of view, people don't even get to experience what convenience to bring to the table, right? And they don't even know, but you guys are a big part of that. But I want to understand from your point of view, because again, since you, you work behind plain sight, right? You're there, but people don't even know you're there. I want to understand what metrics you care about the most uh, in terms of like measuring it and how that impacts operations. Our kind of key principle is always champion the merchant. Uh, and as such, um, the metrics we look at it most before our own business metrics are always the ones that impact uh, the business of the merchant, right? Um, mm-hmm. of the brands we serve. So um, end of the end customer um, in, in getting their product. So um, same day fulfilled is, is our corner, Nostar on the, uh, on the operation side. Um, all orders that come in before 4 p.m. need to be uh, picked, packed and ready to be shipped out on the same day. Same day and next day dispatch um, to ensure that given that we orchestrate also the shipping side of things, not just the warehousing, ensuring that these products are uh, on the way to the customer um, then delivered on time, right? That's ultimately what the end customer cares about. Um, uh, uh, cancellation rates, right? Like nothing more frustrating than uh, ordering something online and getting an email a few days later that uh, you're not going to get your product. So uh, inventory accuracy is super important for us yep. and is driven both by the software side. So um, making sure the APIs are, are running 90, 99.99% of the time are always set. Uh, uh, always there. Um, uh, our, our stable um, inventory synced quickly, um, and then of course in the warehouse that we always know where products are and can ship them out quickly. So ultimately, uh, same day fulfillment, uh, uh, on-time uh, uh, shipping, and uh, uh, and fulfillment in full without cancellations is uh, uh, is I think the most important from a day-to-day basis because that's what really the market cares about. And then from our perspective, uh, as as local as a business. We're looking at basically healthy active merchants, right? So active merchants are very important, and then we um, uh, we define healthy as as uh, uh, us meeting the KPIs for that merchant and um, and the merchant being happy. Uh, merchant NPS is very important for us. So we um, uh, we always ask uh, um, our clients, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend? Um, are yep. you happy with the with the business that uh, local is providing for you? Um, are we enabling you? So those uh, uh, those services are super important. Always one of the first things we look at, and then of course there are the financial KPIs, where again being in a in a, in a model that is an ecosystem enabler, what's important aside from from our own uh, uh, revenue margins and, and the typical financial KPIs 
is also um, how much does our service cost in percent of the uh, the merchandise value, and are we bringing it down? Because ultimately, like most companies always want to increase their share of wallet. Um, right. We actually want to decrease uh, low cuts cost as a share of the overall gross wow. value of the merchant to make it cheaper to fulfill and ship products around the country because fundamentally that will that will help the economy grow, right? Reduce the friction, reduce the cost of doing business, make mm-hmm. it cheaper to uh, um, uh, to bring goods to the customers. That is amazing. Now, last question before we take our last break. How about you, Hans? Did your leadership style from Zalora to Entrego and now to Locad, how did that evolve? Because again, like for me, I... <laughs> Uncharted territory as a leader as well. I literally came from zero to one founder, which I had a cheat cheat code already from party file to chatbot. I knew what to do until it became a 50-man headcount. It's still tiny, but I've never done that before. And I started, I really needed to become, and to be specific, I was really borderline obsessed with this. I needed to become a great operator, not a good operator, a great operator. Because there's so much stuff that, you know, Paul Graham said that you do things that don't scale. You hustle it out first, first few, whatever. But there comes a point where you can't do that anymore. You have to teach your team how to do that for you and with you. And you have to literally fire yourself from all these positions that you've created and diversify from there. I learned that the hard way. But I think I'm a better leader now because even my psyche, you know, the way I make decisions is totally different than who I was, say, at least 12 to 24 months ago. That seems like a, lot, a short time, but it's an eternity, right? But what were those things that changed for you, Cons, along the way? And what were the things that you kept as a leader? That's a good question. I think we, we definitely change, um, change as leaders and then probably also as people and individuals through the the challenges we overcome and through the, the learnings that come with it and, um, and the trauma and the, uh, the, <laughs> the experience. Right? Um, and, um, and I think that's super important. I mean, um, one of the, the values we really kind of look at is like, uh, are we a culture that is always learning? Right. And, and that, um, cause you're going to make mistakes along the way, but like, are we, are we learning from them in a, in a structured way? So I do hope I, I learned from some of the failures along the way also as a leader. I think what what stays with you is your like your core personality and your your character in a way, right? Um, right. Which you cannot change because if you try to change that too much, um, then then you're going to lose your authenticity, you're going to lose yourself, and then the end of the day, I think that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I think what what does get impacted is with more awareness of what right. your personality and character actually is, and and with awareness of what your strengths are, but also how you can overplay your strength. I think it was quite interesting. One of my learnings from, from doing a session with Gallup, I think back in the Zalora days, um, rather than just looking at strength and weaknesses, they rank your strength and then they, they create this awareness for how you overplay your strengths, right? If you're a great hustler, um, that's a strength, but how do you create structure that then allows the, the company to operate on its own and, 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 yeah. and go beyond the hustle, right? Um, if you're if you're a great salesman, how do you not oversell, right? Um, right. If you're if you're a great motivator um, and, uh, and and extremely inspirational, 
how do you also kind of communicate the, the bread and butter goal setting and things like that, right? If you're like super analytical, how do you not lose the, the big picture behind the numbers, the, the cultural aspects, interpersonal aspects and all of that? So I think this topic of what are you actually and building a bit more awareness around that. And then I think uh, building some awarenesses of how you sometimes tend to overplay certain strength or character, um, like things that are part of you, but how you maybe sometimes in certain situations need to, need to mitigate them a bit. I think that's that's probably both what what stays most consistent. Um, your your personality and your character are what you are, um, but also where maturity helps a lot to kind of um, sometimes put an inner break on, right? Um, so I'm exactly. extremely passionate about the businesses I build, and and then can get really kind of deep and whacked up about it, and then realizing that like, hey, take a step back, take a deep breath, <laughs> right? Right. Like, all of these things. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think that's then there's the topic of building an organization as like in the beginning you build a team right, which is like a couple of people, everybody kind of does a bit of everything. You're like a sports team, yeah, like um, somebody's playing offense and defense, but like hey, the defender also sometimes needs to go and 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 uh, uh, and score a goal and vice versa. And and then at some point, and I think you mentioned that with your with your PNA journey of kind of crossing that fifty. 50 people mark, um, you move from this kind of very, very closely interconnected uh, team to kind of having to build an organization, which is like a team of teams, right? right? Exactly. Uh, people working on different topics. And I think one of the, one of the things that I find, find and found most, most challenging is how to find the right balance between doing that and allowing the company to specialize um, so that you have multiple arms to, uh, 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 to build, um, but at the same time, uh, ensuring that everything is so interconnected that you don't lose what made you so strong in the early days, exactly. which is that everybody's super aligned, super connected, um, and and all right. Like how to how to branch out and and and, and stand on multiple legs without building silos, and uh, and also finding the balance between moving fast and building uh, enduring, uh, long term, sustainable. Organizations, structures, processes, uh, financials, yeah. all of that, right? Um, I mean, having grown up in, in, in the rocket world, a lot of it was, was, was bias for speed and bias for action. And I think I've taken a lot of it, uh, uh with me. Uh, but at the same time, you also need to realize, uh, that every time you run very fast, you, you take on some debt, right? And, um, and I'm borrowing our CTO lingo there, but I think the, the, um, the tech guys always put it very well when you're, when you're saying, okay, I can build this. This quick, but it's going to take on this and that tech depth. Um, and then at some point, we're going to have to stop and, 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 and solve for the tech depth. And I think the same mm -hmm. exists for organizational depth. Uh, and in some extent, financial depth, right? So there is that depth that you take on, uh, when you're pushing hyper growth that you eventually need to briefly slow down to deal with that depth because if you accumulate too much of it, it, um, it can, it can break your neck one day, right? So. I don't know. This is not a very structured account of learnings, but I guess it's uh, me mumbling a bit about uh, some of the things that uh, that come top of mind. No, but it does make sense because at the end of the day, like what I said, this is something that's totally uncharted. But just summing it up as a leader, the constant stuff that you're always going to be there is what makes you successful as a zero to one founder anyway. But the one thing that changes is like for me, I can I can totally relate is that how I react to things now that I know better, that I've been through that. And again, only experience can teach you that too. 
we'll, we'll totally define how you do that. And usually it's painful <laughs> experiences that make you be like, oh, okay, I made a mistake there. I'll do better next time when these things come around. But again, scaling is such a complex, it's not even just a science, it's art. Because that balance that you were talking about is something that you really, if there was a management book that really predicts everything of this, then everybody would be using it. But it's not, it's, it does not exist. It's, it is an art as well at the same time, because at the end of the day, behind the numbers, behind the big picture are people that have hearts, that have minds, that you're going to have to push. Their, their buttons are different. When you bunch them up, you know, it can either be a great thing or you just made a big pile of mess <laughs> and you're going to have to do that. And at the end of the day, that, that's, again, what makes a great operator. Okay. Let's take our last break. And when we come back, we will now talk about cons as an investor. Because again, you, you've been an operator. You talk about low cap, but let's talk about how you also look and pay it forward to other co-founders as an angel and also through Kaya Founders. Well, let's talk about that more after the Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again. And we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions for liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Pilipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn in flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, 
Download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. Break. And we're back from the break. We are still with Cons again. Told us an amazing journey of leadership and what they've been able to do in Locad. Great stuff. And again, if you are an e-commerce user, you know where to go and you know what to do there because now everything is democratized. But also, Cons has made an amazing turn, right? After Entrego, he started Angel Investing, right? And obviously, that came full circle also with Kaya Founders along with Pao along with Miss Liza, along with Raya founders, along with Raya and along with Toby and everybody else, right? But let's talk about first your journey as an angel investor. How did this come along and how does an operator or a great founder like you now look at opportunities, especially at startups that you wanted to invest in? And then walk me through how that eventually became Kaya. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this... This sort of just happened in a way. Um, so I mean, we started angel investing because if if you're if you're very passionate about about building companies and, and you naturally right. are part of the ecosystem and then want to also uh, enable other founders to uh, uh, to make their own zero to one journey and, and and that's how we sort of started angel investing. I think um, Liza, Paula, and I each individually. Um, and uh, and I mean, since Paula and I were together in Zalora, we naturally kind of. And build, um, I like did, did a lot of angel investments together, um, and then uh, crossed the uh, path with Liza more and more. And um, yeah, just enjoyed kind of talking about the space and um, uh, and seeing how the ecosystem is moving. And I think one of the things that are super exciting is that the Philippine ecosystem has really been catalyzed in a big way. And uh, yeah, I think there's so much opportunity now to really change many sectors of the economy. Um, and and generate a lot of entrepreneurial value creation and and generate hopefully some of the the leading companies uh, of tomorrow and I think one of the big opportunities here is uh, is actually for homegrown Philippine companies um, startups today to be um, some of the 
I mean, some of the conglomerates of tomorrow, and and, and probably some 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 focus companies that can become very large as well um, in their own space within the Philippines, but also regionally. Um, and I think, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of value creation opportunity um, that can can help the economy overall. And uh, and there's a great talent pool in the Philippines. Uh, there's a great diaspora which which further increases the talent pool. Right. Of course, we've seen tech in other countries. So if that all comes together. Um, and gets ignited uh, with a bit of investment. I think tremendous new industry can can really grow, and I think there's there's enough early success cases to to show what this could become. Um, but it's still very much day day one for it. So yeah, kind of we started just um, individually angel investing and, and things that um, that looked really interesting, and particularly in in people uh, who we felt uh, were were on just something. Um, often people we had worked with or, or so, and then. Um, Paul and I at some point set up a company to just a, a hold code to, to angel invest together uh, because we were anyway often investing together in, in to, uh, <laughs> to pull ourselves to meet the minimum ticket requirements. So we just split the ticket in two and invested through that joint hold code. So that was kind of how it started, right? <laughs> and then, and then yeah, Raya started um, uh, working a lot uh, with us on it. Initially, this was all kind of just, just a hobby and um, worked a lot more with Liza. We had done some of the most exciting angel investments in the Philippines, um, and uh, yeah, then after uh, after his uh, uh, his journey um, with uh, with Zalora as the CEO there, kind of after more than ten years, I think uh, uh, for uh, came to the next stage. He really uh, decided to to focus on this uh, fully, and then build Kaya Founder, very much Paulo's baby, uh, and uh, um, and I think it was was all about um, putting structure into what we had been doing as, as individual angels um, and creating a platform um, that provides uh, a, a both initial capital, but but more so uh, the support um, that, that can help entrepreneurs to bring their idea uh, from zero to one and, uh, and and build a company. And I think um, there's a lot of later stage capital available uh, on, a, on a regional basis uh, in Southeast Asia now. I mean, it is, I think, one of the most exciting markets for venture capital. I think what uh, Philippines um, uh, always lacked a bit was that um, very early stage capital willing to take big risks on nothing more than than founders and an idea. Um, mm-hmm. And as such, um, I'm really glad that uh, uh, that um, Kaya with uh, with Paolo, Raya, Toby, and the team is is now there to to really build uh, build a platform for that. And I'm glad to play a small part in it. But uh, it's uh, it's really Paolo's show first and foremost. No, but I want to understand, for, as a startup founder, I mean, as an angel investor, right? You, you did this prior to, to Kaya becoming officially Kaya. When you look for startups that you eventually wrote checks for, right? Um, and again, the, the teams behind it, what, what are the things that you like to see in order for them to convince you as an angel prior to Kaya coming in? Yeah. I think as especially as an angel personally, right? Because there you have much less structure than than a VC has and then then Kaya has now, right? As an angel, you're essentially making your own decisions with your own money. And if it doesn't work, then you pay for your mistakes and everything. Stops with you, right there. Um, yeah. So I thought you, or at least for me, it's less formal and a bit less structured. And, and more selectively driven by what are sectors that I feel I inherently understand, um, and and where do we then um, see founders who, who we also understand, right? Um, now again, Kaya is more sophisticated now because it's a whole structure to it. Um, but as an as an angel, when you ask me personally, it's it, it's also a bit. I mean, 
as an angel, I don't think you're, um, you're like the difference between a VC and an angel is the VC should not miss out on anything within their, uh, within their spectrum, right? So there's, uh, uh, like you want to have a very structured, uh, process that ensures that, yeah, you maximize the, the chances of success of, of the investments you make, but you also don't want to uh, miss out on the big stuff in your field. An angel is a bit different because by definition, you don't have as much time to, um, to make that many investments anyway. So you're just going to kind of selectively um, do some often in a space um, where you either know the, the sector and the industry well and kind of inherently understand that. And on the, on the entrepreneur and talent side, often within your network, right? Um, people you've worked with, who've worked in companies you've worked with before and so on. So I think that's, um, uh, that's a sort of imperfect way of doing it as an angel and then um, as a VC and, and, and now um, with, with Kaya structure, it's, it's becoming more sophisticated. But uh, what I generally look at is I think um, this kind of founder market fit where um, you have an interesting segment where somebody sees an opportunity that, um, that is not super obvious to everybody else. Um, obviously, this stuff is never fully proprietary, right? Everybody's looking at the same signals. Um, but right. you have somebody who kind of has a, has a, has a different angle of, of looking at something, often has a good personal exposure to the problem uh, in, in one way or another. Um, and where we feel that um, in, a, in a technology-centered way, uh, real value can be created for stakeholders, whether it's consumers or other businesses, and where over time, that value can be enhanced rather than diminishing over time. So building modes that build a strong business over time. But yeah, I mean, that's just kind of very high-level framework. That's amazing. Now, last question before we go. What, what were you most excited about? You've been in the ecosystem for a while, and you see how diverse and how thriving our startup ecosystem is here in the Philippines. What, what are you most excited about and what are the things that I guess we should look out for? Because there's still a lot of work to be done. And I think we're just literally at the start of how good it can possibly be. But if we say rest in our laurels and not execute, we can go back to the dark ages pretty darn quickly. <laughs> From your point, point perspective and your point of view, Kans. What are those things that we should be looking out for or looking forward to, for, forward to? But also, what are the things we need to still continue to build in order to get there? Yeah. I think what excites me most, uh, specifically in the PH context, is that I think we're finally at a stage where an ecosystem is forming um, that can re- really be a, a catalyst for, for progress. And... Um, Sometimes later stage investors ask where there have been many kind of false starts for the Philippines where the potential was always there, but it's not kicked off uh, as much as some people thought. Uh, is it going to be different now? And I think the big difference is that now really an ecosystem has uh, has formed that can act as a catalyst. And I think if I look at it um, in my own core sector with local and e-commerce, I think we're now seeing um, so many different platforms out there that allow you to grow your business, marketplaces, TikTok, social commerce, brand.com, mm. and, and at the same time, enabling services in payments, uh, in logistics such as Lowcut, where you as a, as a brand can stand on the shoulders of others uh, uh, and, and really grow. Uh, so I'm personally still extremely pumped about e-commerce, and it's been one of the oldest sectors within tech. So sometimes people think that it's already kind of mature and that's exciting. I think it's very much still day one in e-commerce, and we still have a massive, uh, a massive scaling up to see that. Uh, and we now finally have the ecosystem that can enable that. Um, I think within the general startup and tech ecosystem, I think we now have, um, we, we always had a big market opportunity, but Philippines was always a bit overlooked, maybe because it was smaller than Indonesia. 
Um, but now as the Southeast Asia market has matured, I think a lot of more people are looking at Philippines and it's like, hey, there are actually more than 100 million people here, significant GDP, uh, a lot of problems to solve. So um, there is more attention on the market. At the same time, there's a lot more talent uh, actively in the ecosystem because you have a lot of people yes. who have grown up um, in first-generation tech companies. Uh, in the Philippines, um, you have people who have grown up in, in tech companies uh, abroad and are coming back. Um, I personally think Philippines is one of the most exciting markets to be in. I mean, I I I, I bet my uh, professional life on it uh, as a uh, as a German without links. Um, uh, when 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 we have hiring conversations, I always say like, if you have any kind of roots to the Philippines, I think this is an amazing time to come back and uh, uh, and build. Uh, I think this is really now the the the, the time to build um, in PH, and I think the talent pool is, is super exciting because it's getting bigger and bigger, and more people are actively thinking about. Working in startups, building in startups, and um, university grads are now joining startups. It's no longer like a taboo thing to tell your parents that you're joining a startup. So, like, this is, a lot has happened on the talent side. Um, capital is becoming much more available than than it used to be uh, across stages, from the very early stage uh, uh, capital of Kaya to to later stage, and then even some of the biggest global VCs that have invested in the Philippines just in the last 24 months. Um, we can do a lot more building for the world from the Philippines. I think this could be the next big opportunity. Uh, a lot of like um, software built in India for the world has catalyzed the uh, ecosystem there. I think uh, similar things could happen in uh, in the Philippines. And uh, I mean, Kumo is an example. Uh, we're leveraging the, the whole diaspora. And with Locat, we we proved in the Philippines and we build out. So I think this will happen a lot more. Um, and I guess lastly, what excites me a lot is that the ecosystem is a vibrant, but also now very kind of close-knit, supportive. Um, uh, people are really kind of um, supporting each other where they can. Uh, it's becoming quite synergistic. Uh, there's, a, there's a very positive vibe cheering for each other. So I think we're at a, at a very interesting point for, for PH Tech. And again, that is amazing. Thank you very much, Cons, for such an amazing episode with us. But before I let you go, please invite people to check out Locad and how they can reach out to you if they want to work out, or if they want to work with you and try out Locad. And again, uh, have any questions? Where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah, please do, folks. Um, so if you're running an e-commerce brand, uh, a startup or a very large one, reach out to Locad. And uh, we'd love to talk how we can uh, help you grow um, and how we can uh, enable your business. Uh, and mention Hustle Share. Uh, you'll get a special promo um, and uh, we'll waive the first three months of subscription fee for the platform um, to get you started. Uh, so do amazing. reach out with, uh, with Hustle Share. Um, at the same time, if you are uh, looking for opportunities, uh, job opportunities, do reach out to us. We are hiring at Lowcut. Um, in uh, in tech, in uh, sales and operations, um, do check us out. Go lowcut.com. Um, follow us on uh, uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook. Feel free to reach out to me as well on LinkedIn directly. Um, do get in touch with us, um, and we're always looking for uh, talented individuals who are keen to make an impact on the e-commerce industry and who are um, potentially looking to join us. Uh, so do reach out if you're running an e-commerce business. If you're interested to work in e-commerce. Uh, or if you have any kind of partnership opportunities, feel free to reach out directly at golocat.com or to me on LinkedIn. That is amazing. Again, thanks, Khan, very much. Before, But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any type of podcast app 
Give us a star rating. And again, let us know what you think about the podcast. And if we did say some jargon, it's going to be the show notes in hustleshare.com. And lastly, if you want to be also be part of the community, it's going to be a community on Hustle Share community on Facebook. And again, cons, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.